and 2020 keeps rolling on, doesn't it? Doesn't it? What's next? I mean, what is next? What's next? We got the pandy raging. Welcome to episode 78. It's been a month since I've talked. Been a month since you've heard me. All right, unless you've been listening to the old, to the archive. Hopefully you have. Thank you for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Florida doesn't give a fuck about the pandy. Arizona doesn't give a fuck about the pandy. In New York, if you go outside in New York right now, if you even step foot outside, it is like the Hunger Games, okay? An alarm goes off, the police show up, they shoot you dead in the street if you go outside in New York right now. This is my first pandemic. I don't know what to expect from pandemics. I don't know if people live through a lot of pandemics. Corona season took my pandemic virginity. I don't, I don't know what to do. I sit inside, I watch Space Force, I don't know, okay? I watch TV, I bask in my own sadness, I do all the normal things that Americans do. I eat Oreos, I shove my face, I get type 2 diabetes. I have all the pre-existing conditions now, all right? They said, if you have pre-existing conditions, don't get Corona. Stay away from Corona. But Corona season gave me all of them. I think I'm developing heart disease. I got depression. I think I have, uh, you know, a blocked artery or something. I might have a blood clot in my leg. I haven't moved in eight days. I don't know. Okay, I have all the I have all the conditions. I have all the conditions. I have to avoid Corona now because I will die. All right. Anyway, welcome to the show. Episode 78. 2020 is not over. Hurricane season. All right. You thought 2020 was over. Well, here comes hurricane season full force ahead, full steam ahead. And that's why we have the great Brian McNulty. Brian McNulty is a senior research associate at the University of Miami's Rosian Steel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science. One, He's one of the premier researchers in tropical cyclones in the world. And also, he's the youngest. This is this is kind of interesting. I bet, I bet you don't know this about Florida. He is the youngest human to ever step foot in Florida. He might literally be the only one left after Corona season because Florida just opened the floodgates, all right? Open, open the floodgates. The average age of a Floridian is 700. That's insane, all right? I was in I was in Florida earlier this year. They literally don't have carts at the grocery store. I walked into the grocery store. I said, sir, oh, sir, to the man working there, sir, where's the, where's the, where's the carts? And he said, we don't have carts. We only have motor scooters. And they had 150 motor scooters because they anticipate everyone that walks into Walmart can't actually walk on their own accord. And that's Florida. All right. And that's Florida. Now, Brian McNulty is one of the premier researchers in, in tropical cyclones and in hurricanes in the entire world. Go check out his blog. I'll link it below. He, he's maintained a blog on tropical uh, Atlantic activity since 1996. That's nearly my entire life. That's nearly my whole life. All right. And he frequently contributes as a tropical weather expert for the Washington Post's Capital Weather Gang since 2012. So he's immersed in this field. Seriously, follow him on Twitter. Check out his blog because he's nonstop. It's nonstop information about tropical cyclones, hurricanes, and climate science just never ends. So that's why I'm on because, you know, there's a frequent claim that I see in the media that I didn't fully understand. I didn't understand where the claim was coming from. The claim is climate change will impact the severity of hurricanes in the future and it will have drastic effects. Now, I don't know how to interpret that because a lot of times you can't interpret it because the articles don't actually explain the science. They break down the effects, they break down the societal effects, they break down the socioeconomic effects, they don't explain the science. So that's why Brian is here. We talk through that. How will climate change affect 
the frequency and severity of hurricanes going through the next hundred years. We also talk about a ton of other very interesting and pertinent pieces of information when it comes to hurricanes and tropical cyclones. Things like how do they even form and why do they form where they form? Why do hurricanes not form in the Arctic? Huh? Do you know? Why do hurricanes always seem to hit particular parts of the United States coastline? Do you know? I don't think you know. That's why you're here listening. That's why when you saw hurricanes, you clicked on it because you're, you're smart and you know what you don't know. That's what being a scientist is all about after all. Being a scientist is when you learn that you know nothing. The more of a scientist you become, the more you realize you literally know zero things. I literally don't know a single thing. There's not a thing I know. I barely know how to speak. I bear, and my pre-existing conditions are taking away my ability to speak slowly over time. We talk about a ton of other things like, can you stop a hurricane? Turns out this idea has been around for a very long time, according to Brian, and he walks us through some of the more crazy ideas that have existed to stop a hurricane. It's fascinating. And I will tell you, it involves things like nuclear bombs. All right, so you have to listen to find out. Also, how do we study hurricanes? Turns out we fly planes into them. Sign me out. Count me out. Count me out. Don't, I'm not, nope, ain't happening. Because that's one of those things that Brian tells me is safe and we talk through it, but my ignorance doesn't allow me to understand how it's safe, all right? It's like sharks. It's like sharks. They tell me that my chances of being bit by a shark are like one in four million. Listen to me. Every time a piece of seaweed touches me at the ocean, I'm out, all right? Every time I step on a hypodermic needle in the Jersey Shore, I leave because I assume it's a shark, all right? When in fact, it is just a disposed hypodermic needle in my foot. Because actually, the chances of you stepping on a hypodermic needle on the Jersey Shore are higher than your chances of being bitten by a shark. Check that out. There's a fact that I didn't actually verify with any data. Anyway, thank you for tuning in. Please, I hope you appreciate the conversation. Brian McNulty is a fantastic person to speak to. He's one of the smartest tropical cyclone researchers in the world. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Great A. Remember, this is a great A podcast, okay? This is a great A podcast. If, if we had a beach, if we had some shores, you would never step on a hypodermic needle on those shores. Never on this great A podcast. Great A podcast. Everyone knows a great A podcast. Okay, great A. We don't get B's, C's, D's. You, you understand. Great A. So please write and review the show. Just type great A. You know the drill. Everyone does it. You go do it too. This is important. Thank you. Please consider contributing to the show on Patreon, PayPal. You know the drill. All links on the website, thestateoftheuniverse.com. Give it up for the great Brian McNulty. You live in Miami, right, Brian? Yeah. Miami. Yeah. You're at the epicenter of the reopening from the corona, right? <laughs> I, I wish I, I knew what was happening around here with that, but uh, things things are gradually opening. I, I haven't ventured out much yet, though. No, are you still staying in? You expect Florida to do Florida things and just, you know, get swarmed with cases? Absolutely. Yes. It's, I, it's, it's just the way we do things. <laughs> it really is. You guys are pioneers in all the wrong ways. You know? <laughs> like everything yeah. that, that humanity uh, is on the fringe of, Florida's doing it and doing it successfully. And if that means, you know, a ton of people dying, then Florida's going to do it successfully. They're just going to do it. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it is what it is. <laughs> it's, it's impressive. But, yeah. Well, we're here to talk about hurricanes, right? Absolutely. And I'm curious about, I'm always curious about how scientists end up in the positions they're in, in terms of like their, their interests, 
right? So you develop an interest for hurricanes, but where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in southeast Pennsylvania, so uh, not completely immune to, to hurricanes, although it's not, you know, it's not that often. But uh, it just so happens that there was a rather hefty one offshore in uh, 1985. Uh, it was Hurricane Gloria. And I thought that was pretty cool. I was in, I guess it was like fourth grade. And it was a pretty big deal. I mean, we had off of school. It was a lot of wind, a lot of rain. Um, it was actually, they, they closed the schools for a few days after just so everyone, you know, the people could check up on how safe things were in terms of roof structure and things like that. And so that got me really intrigued in them and like, okay, how do you know when these things are going to come? Where are they going? I didn't really pay much attention to them before that. Well, I was a kid, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, ever since then, I really got into like the, um, the whole hurricane thing from what's going on right now to what, what went on in, in, in years long, long ago and things we could learn from them. So how old, then, oh, oh, sorry. sorry how old were you at that point? I would have been, I guess about what, about nine. I see. See, I'm interested in this because I, I talked to a lot of my guests about this and there seems to be two camps of people working in science. It, it is the people who develop this like innate question when they're a very young person. And that seems to be the camp that you're in um, when it comes to hurricanes. And then there's the people who are just curious and they would be happy realistically working on anything. Like uh -huh. me, you could put me in a lab working on hurricanes. And as long as I am solving cool problems around cool people, I would be fine with that. Right. Yep. I'm not tied to any problem. And I'm very interested in the differences between the two. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. I, I, I certainly know people on both ends like that that have kind of had this lifelong uh, kind of hook on something and some that just love looking at things uh, and how, how to learn about anything, you know, which is also really cool. <laughs> yeah. So when you're a kid, you're nine and you discover, man, I, I really love hurricanes. How do you explore that that interest like when i was a kid i was super interested in roller coasters and i would make my mom take me to theme parks but you can't really go to a theme park for hurricanes right that's not a thing that that you can do um, no it was it was pretty slim pickings back then um there you know you couldn't look up anything online there there was no online <laughs> right right yeah um so i tried to you know if there was anything on uh on a show on tv um Back then, the wet weather channel was new, like it just came came on, um, and they they did cover the the hurricane stuff usually once an hour. You'd have someone like uh, John Hope, who who's no longer with us, but he he was like the big name. I mean, he was like a vet of of hurricane stuff going into it. Um, so that was something I look, always looked forward to was seeing seeing him give the the update once an hour on what was going on with the hurricanes, and so I would just have to write down what was going on. You know, like, okay, this is where this storm's at, and it's wind speed during the night. At some point, I had to sleep. Um, yeah, I would actually record the Weather Channel on my 
ACR and then watch it the next day to to uh, grab what I missed. Do you still <laughs> have those VHS tapes? <laughs> you have no idea how much I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. They were lost in a hurricane. Um, <laughs> so hurricanes are, are undead. Like most people know, I guess, the base, not, not even the basics. I would say most people know the buzzword hurricane. They know what it means. They know like, it's almost like they know the symptoms, if you will, right? Yeah. But not many people, I think, understand what is actually happening physically on the earth. So can you yeah. break that down? Like what what is actually occurring that causes a, a hurricane to form? What is it at a more fundamental level? That's a great question. Um, it really is just a, 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 a strong low pressure system. So we have highs and lows roaming around the world. Um, high pressures we typically associate with, you know, nice weather, uh, Skies generally generally tend to be more clear when you're near a low pressure, just the opposite. Um, and a hurricane just happens to be one of the more uh, well or organized low pressure systems. Um, these are things that are a, a a coherent entity for a week or even two weeks, um, and they're 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 large, you know. The extent of a hurricane's reach might be uh, 200 miles, 400 miles out, out from from where the low pressure is. Uh, so what is like the, the secret recipe to create these things, right? Um, we know you've, you've explained what is actually occurring in the atmosphere. But if you, say, wanted to conjure up a, a hurricane, what would be the recipe that, that you would use to do such a thing? Yeah, so the cool thing about hurricanes is they only exist over a, a little bit of the, the Earth's surface. They don't form over land, so they, they need a warm ocean. So that, that already narrows down the scope. You have to be mm-hmm. over the ocean, it has to be warm. So you're limited to, to that kind of uh, ring around the Earth, basically. But then even from that, you have to have... Um, low vertical wind shear and vertical wind shear just means the winds at low levels of the atmosphere have to be kind of like the winds at the upper levels of the atmosphere um if they're if they're too far apart either in speed or in direction uh hurricanes don't like that so you need that low vertical wind shear and that so that kind of narrows down the 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 range even more because there's there's parts of the world that although there's a warm ocean there's really high wind shear so they can't work there i see now i also know um from my little bit of research that hurricanes tend not to form at the equator is that right yeah that is right why is that so part the, this this gets back to the high and low pressure thing um the reason air moves anticyclonically around a high and cyclonically around a low, so depending on if you're in the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere that's clockwise or counterclockwise, it flips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, it's just because the, the Earth is spinning. So we have this uh, Coriolis force. And on the equator, there is no force there. Right. There, there, there is no spin being introduced by the rotation of the Earth. 
the further north or south you get away from the equator, the more of that spin you get. Um, and that's what kind of helps, or that, that is why highs rotate and lows rotate the way they do. Um, and so without that, you, you wouldn't have things like hurricanes at all. So even though you have a lot more spin introduced by the Earth's rotation way up high north and way south, that's, then you run into the problem of the, you don't have the warm ocean. Right. You're kind of in this little strip between like five or so degrees north and south to, you know, maybe 35 degrees north and south. Mm-hmm. Where you have the warm ocean condition and you have enough spin in the atmosphere. I see. Slight aside, do you have a favorite hurricane? Is there like one that it resonates in your head as like this is my this is my guy, this is my hurricane or girl, this is my hurricane? <laughs> well, I think I would have to stick with my original inspiring hurricane. That was Hurricane Gloria, nineteen eighty five. Now the the Connection, I, I see this a lot. I see, in fact, I see this a lot about a ton of things. Climate change is, is undoubtedly affecting um, the weather in the world, right? And it will in the future. Uh, yes. You can look in, in journals right now in almost any field, and you can find papers talking about the effects that climate change will have on that field. This has become a huge question, uh, you know, stretching from like economics to physics, to uh, social sciences, back to, I imagine, the study of tropical cyclones and hurricanes. And I see a lot of headlines saying along those lines, a warming climate is going to somehow affect hurricanes, their strength, their severity, their duration, etc., etc. But I have not yet seen a great explanation of how that happens. I actually think that that this is a big problem that plagues climate science in general, is that uh, I think a lot of scientific ignorance comes from people not understanding the science enough. Obviously, uh, we have that problem in America right now. Um, but in some cases, it's not explained well enough. And I think that due to the, politi- the politicalization of, of climate science, which is so weird that that has been politicized, um, there has been less effort put on explaining the science and more effort put on on uh dealing with the the partisan disagreement surrounding the science so i wanted to talk to you about climate science and the way it's going to affect hurricanes at a more scientific level right because we we need to in order to you know have people believe us when we say climate change is going to well we should probably solve the disbelief in climate change first um, but we can only tackle one thing at a time, Ryan, right? Right. Yeah. So, so how do we break this down? That's a, it's a common headline, but I think it's, it's worth talking through it. So we know, you mentioned that, that obviously warm oceans contribute to hurricanes, right? Yeah. So with that in mind, is that the main driver behind the sort of conclusion that warmer climates are going to pr- produce stronger, more severe hurricanes. Yeah, there's 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 a lot in there to <laughs> I know. To, uh, Sometimes I get going and I can't stop. <laughs> that that is quite alright. Um it's 
it's complicated, I, I guess is the answer. Uh, there is, there is a fingerprint of climate change on hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Um, most of that fingerprint is in terms of how intense they can get. Uh, some of it is in how much rain they can make. Um, the part that is not really showing up yet in the records is how many of them form. There doesn't really seem to be a trend in that yet and maybe never will. Um, but so that, that part's not too clear yet is will there be more of them? We just don't know. That's not happening yet. Um, but the ones that do form are apparently beginning to trend to be a little more intense um, and producing a little bit more rain. And the you know the more extreme we get into the climate change spectrum, the more those become an issue. Um, I wouldn't ever blame climate change on any you know one hurricane like right. this hurricane mm-hmm. is because of climate change. But it's it's just it's it's altering the baseline. Right. So it's it's affecting everything equally. Some things will not form. So just because yes, we have a warming climate and this and this um, does not mean that every storm is going to become a you know some beast out in the ocean. Um, we're still going to have weak storms. We're still going to have things that try to form and can't form and all that. Um, but you just I think of it maybe a good way to think is um, you have some 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 Olympic athlete that just got really amazing new uh, shoes mm-hmm. like some some new advance in what a shoe is made of. Let's say okay, well that 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 person who runs is still going to have not so good days and some you know really really excellent days and break records and. Um, it's still the same person wearing yeah. the shoes, but, mm-hmm. but it just got that little edge. So that's kind of what, what this is doing. And it is mostly through the warming of the oceans, because that is the primary way that hurricanes get their fuel. I, uh, they, they need a warm ocean. And the warmer the ocean is, the, the more intense they can get. Maybe you know this number offhand. I feel like it's 95%. I think 95% of the heating of the Earth's atmosphere gets actually translated into the oceans. 95% might not be right. It is. I, I don't know offhand either, but it is a large percentage. Yeah. Uh, like a very large percentage. Right. And that's a big deal. Exactly. Uh, it kind of hides a lot of the warming that we're seeing because it's not in the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. we, who happen to live, in the atmosphere, uh, we're only seeing a tiny piece of the warming that's going on. The, the ocean is the sponge for it. And yeah. there's only so long that we can ignore that happening. So the, the ocean is warming not only at the surface, but through, through its whole the depth. And that is going to be an increasing impact on hurricanes. Yeah, now, we, there's something interesting happening. I'm, I'm no hurricane expert, but, but I've been looking at this a little bit and, you know, your blog has been very helpful for that. Uh, is this weird change in the hurricane season, right? That's been happening over the past five years, I think it was, where we're seeing yeah. hurricanes at a, at a much earlier rate than was previously noted. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, so hurricane season in the Atlantic Ocean officially starts uh, on June 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never meant to include everything. I mean, it's a, you know, to, to have some storms out kind of as, as outliers is okay. You know, it's not ever going to include them all. Uh, otherwise, we just make not even call it a season and just right. let it be all year long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we've had a lot of preseason named storms recently, which means either a subtropical storm or a tropical storm that earned a name form before the official start of hurricane season. Um, so that trend is definitely becoming, uh, interesting, I guess. Um, yeah. it, in terms of hurricanes, there's not really a trend in when the first hurricane forms. Uh, that is still well within hurricane season. And looking over the last 50 years, actually, there's not even a trend in that changing. Um, so the, the part that is trending is how soon the first name storm forms. So these kind of weak, short-lived things are able to form a little bit sooner than maybe they used to. And maybe that's because conditions are, you know, what, what used to be right on the, the edge of, um, what would have allowed a storm to form is now moving a little bit more into their, their mm-hmm. zone. So they, you know, maybe where they wouldn't have formed 25 years ago, now they can just form. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the interesting things about climate science is something you mentioned is that it's, it's complex. It's very complex. And I have a, based off of the people I've talked to, I've sort of crafted this idea that, uh, the more complex something is, the less people care about it. You know, like the general public. Um, yeah. So p- people love multiverse theories, right? Because it's kind of intuitive. It's like you could picture another universe where you're interviewing me and I'm the hurricane expert and you are the PhD uh, candidate with a podcast, you know? Um, but when it comes to actually explaining the M theory or the string theory or the uh the mathematical underpinnings of a multiverse and the wacky ways in which it would actually manifest itself um people don't care about that right Right. and so i i wonder if there is a degree to this in every exploration of climate science because it's not as easy as you pointed out as saying uh the warming climate is going to cause you know this many new hurricanes per year at this additional strength um, and it's going to cause this X amount of dollars in damage. Uh, it's very complicated, and you almost have to wait. Uh, Dr. Culp always says, and this is a quote. Who's this? George. George. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to insert it. But a quote that all models are wrong. Some are useful. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's a fan- I, I also can't remember who that, who that is attributed to, but I've heard that, and that's a very, very well-used quote in our field. <laughs> yes. And do you think that that af- affects um, people's trust in in your community? That they, um, they don't realize that, that you're working with a model and, and your model has some leeway and uh, that leeway isn't given to you and sometimes these predictions are taken at face value and then they're not met. Um, do you think yeah, that's a problem? That's, that's a, yeah, an excellent point. Um, 
And that's one of the things that we try to get out there is the uncertainty in things. Mm-hmm. That in, when you're trying to predict what nature's going to do, we don't pretend that we ever know it with certainty. Right. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to know what nature is going to do in the future with certainty. Right. Um, you, you know approximately what it's going to do with some uncertainty around that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that can be a difficult concept right. to get out there. People like to know what is it going to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you the most likely thing that it will do. Um, but there are wings around that. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, that, that can, that can be a, a hard thing to get across, but we are trying. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Science is like, science is incredibly messy and it, it seems weird. I, I'm not sure where the problem lies here in terms of education, because when I remember being in school and I was kind of taught that science was not messy. You're taught this kind of like very simple scientific method. Uh, yeah. this five step process under which you, you, I think it's five steps. I don't even know anymore. I feel like when you yeah. actually do science, the concept of a scientific method evaporates away because everyone's individual scientific method is so different. Um, ideally you under, you, you abide by some simple rules. Uh, don't make up data and don't make conclusions before your data suggests stuff like that. Uh, yeah. but the actual scientific method, it like, it's kind of not there. And do you think we should be, more careful in the way that we teach people science and, and make sure they know science is, is messy. I mean, it's right in the aggregate. Like, it, it, you know, you can, like you were saying, like you, you're going to give people meaningful predictions, but there's going to be some wiggle room. And I don't think that's taught well enough. I agree. Um, I think when the, the type of science that we're taught, you know, in grade school and high school is often the, really, really well-established stuff that's mm-hmm. 200 years old or 300 years old. Um, and there really is not wiggle room in that. Like, we know the equations of motion that Newton came up with, you know, or yeah. uh, mm-hmm. things like that, literally 300-year-old ideas that um, the same things that you're learning in school now, people learned 100 years ago. Um, but then you start getting into higher levels of schooling where you might be trying to learn something new right? Uh, or reading about people who are still trying to learn something new. And then you get into the mess. You're like, okay, now you got to get your hands messy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and realize that it's science is not just about learning about solved problems. Like they only get solved because people had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're in that process of figuring things out or learning how things work, um, yeah, it's, it's not clean. There aren't answers that you can just look up and say, Oh, this is it. It's you're, you're going to be one of the ones who get to that yeah, point. Right. Uh huh. I notice. I, I feel like this is actually the root of a lot of science denialism in culture today is because I, I feel that people are taught science is nice and neat. And when they stumble upon one thing that seems messy, they assume it is because of some scientific negligence. Not because that's actually how science is structured and that's how science moves forward by uh, working with that wiggle room. But once people who aren't very literate in science, if you will, um, detect some of that wiggle room, they immediately think um, that's... You know what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so 
you know, you're in an interesting field where like, I, I feel like the entire country doesn't trust weather prediction. That's one thing that like a lot of pe- I shouldn't say the entire country. I'm sure like 70% of people have the utmost trust in weather prediction. But growing up in central Pennsylvania, I don't think anyone trusted weather prediction. No one. Everyone distrusted it. You know, maybe you had a very similar experience in, in yeah. uh, Pennsylvania. But uh, do, you, do you struggle with that in, in, uh, in science and physical sciences in general? Like, do you, do you feel like physical scientists distrust uh, what you do more than, say, physics? Like hard, phys- like solid state physics? Yes, I would say so. I mean, one of the, the, the common rips we get is you can be wrong half the time and you still get paid. Right. <laughs> I'm wrong all the time and I still get paid, so. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it is frustrating because there's um, one thing that people, and I, I, I don't make forecasts. That's not in my business. But right, people, right. I know. I just, that's the closest yeah, analogy yeah. I could draw. Yeah, yeah, no, and the, the, the people who do make forecasts, they they go through a verification process. Mm-hmm. So it's not like these forecasts are made and never heard from again. They literally are looked at and scrutinized after the fact, especially in, in hurricanes. Um, you'll get what every forecast, you know, if there is an intensity error, a track error. Um, that gets averaged out over a whole year then. Uh, it can be averaged out just over a certain storm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the forecasts are not just made and forgotten. They are scrutinized and learned from. And, you know, you're always trying to improve things for the next year. Um, so while a forecast will not be perfect, it never will be perfect, uh, we try to Im- make improvements. Yeah. Squash, squash down the uncertainty mm-hmm. and, um, you're, you're always going to have people that as soon as you're wrong once, it, it, it means, well, what I said before, you, you don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Uh-huh. Like, well, okay. You, I, I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I, it also comes from unreal expectations. My father-in-law routinely does this thing where, uh, you know, we'll talk to him and my wife and I will, will tell him, uh, you know, we're going hiking next weekend, 10 days away. And he'll say, it's supposed to rain, you know? And uh, when people have this, like, expectation that the what they see on AccuWeather in 27 days is going to be anywhere near accurate, uh, it's a, it's one more of those things where they think that they're, like, identifying the the hole in the scientific method uh, because the 27-day weather prediction was incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is definitely, I, I believe that's a, uh, what's the phrase for that, the confirmation bias sort yeah. of thing where it's uh-huh. like uh you're you you hear this one thing and it, again it could be let's say for a hurricane track uh five days ago they said the hurricane was headed for north carolina mm-hmm. and now today it's heading for florida yeah what <laughs> uh-huh yep and then um, oh there was that uh that was about a hurricane right that famous uh donald trump um, last year he had like a, gosh, I'm forgetting this story for some reason. He had a, like a giant map in his office and he drew, uh, Oh yes. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yes. This was, a <laughs> this was Hurricane Dor- Dor- Dorian uh-huh. last year and, uh, he altered a 
map showing what the five day forecast was with a black marker yep. to include Alabama, which he had mentioned would be affected by it. The forecast didn't show that, so he made it show it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's just it yeah, seems like parody. Yeah. Like what what did you what did you think immediately when when you saw that? What's immediate well, thought? Uh not being in the National Hurricane Center and I know just about everyone who works at the Hurricane Center and it was really not a good scene there when that happened. But as someone looking in from the outside but knowing them and mm-hmm. knowing the process, um it was very fr- frustrating. Um, I mean, everyone was just angry. It was just like, he, he, he just cannot be wrong. Right. So if he says something once and, and it wasn't entirely accurate, he'll make something up to mm-hmm. make it look accurate. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, that's just so frustrating. Yes. I imagine, uh, being in that field, that one had to, to hit hard. I'm, I'm, I'm gratefully pretty sheltered from any Donald Trump comments. Like, Donald Trump is probably not going to talk about gravitational waves. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, we'll wait. And I even accidentally did the thing when that he does with my hands. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I will wait. I hope he doesn't uh, ever get to the gravitational waves. Uh, but but anyhow, in the past, like, have we been seeing uh, trends in in an uptick in severity of of hurricanes during hurricane season? Um, or, or have we not seen such a thing over basically since we've had, uh, the last 50 or so years, we've had pretty good means of, you know, keeping an eye on things or basically what are called geostationary satellites. Mm-hmm. So they're up there in orbit, but they're always looking at the earth at the same point. So you you know, you don't get a glimpse every 12 hours or so. It's a constant looking um, so over the last 50, um, ish years, we've had a pretty good look at things. And over that time period, there seems to be an increase in intensity on average. You know, you're going to have some that are weaker, some that are stronger. Uh, it's a, it's a hard trend to pick out, but, uh, it seems to be happening. And how do you measure that? Like, how do you measure the idea of severity? Yeah, so that that kind of gets back to the again. Um, we do have aircrafts that fly into a few storms, um, but they have to be, be within range of an airport, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, that limits the aircraft um, range. Uh, that's that's the most preferred way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're actually having instruments inside the storm. Alternatively, this goes back to, again, about the last 50 or so years when we can observe them from space. Um, there was a technique developed in like 1972 or three or something like that, um, where just by the appearance of the storm, and this was done over a lot of storms and refined, but um, basically by the look of it, by the shape of the clouds, you can, you can figure out approximately how intense a hurricane is. And it mm-hmm. works remarkably well. Um, it's 
it's amazing that we still use it. I mean, the, the whole world still uses it. <laughs> yeah. Now, that seems like something that uh, would be a great application for machines, right? Yeah. If you can... that, is, that is starting to happen. Yeah, if you're able to deduce these sorts of things just by looking at it. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I suppose hurricanes are, are so infrequent. Uh, infrequent's probably not the right word, but you, you don't have millions of them per year. You know what I mean? Well, so so you could very well just have humans do the analysis for you. I, yeah. I, I and, did, it, and it always, everyone around the world, it's, it's all human-based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are objective techniques out there that, you know, look at, the, the shape of the clouds, how cold the cloud tops are, mm-hmm. um, all that, and give you an objective intensity estimate. But at the end of the day, a human is there to actually give it its official intensity. Right. Now, when you say planes fly into them, what, what does that mean? Um, this like, goes back. Cause in my head, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but in my head, I, I do this weird thing where when I picture a hurricane, I actually picture a tornado. You know what I mean? Like, I actually picture, like, a very violent, swirling mass of of atmosphere that is sucking things in. It's like a weird... Because uh, that's kind of what you get when you look at them from space. You know what I mean? That's yeah. sort of the mental image that, that I conjure up. But they are much larger. Right. Much larger. Right, right, right. Of course. The, the, the heart of a hurricane is is the eye wall. Right. That's this ring of the most intense winds. Um, and that can be 20 miles across, mm-hmm. uh, 25, but 30 more miles across. Um, outside of that, the winds begin to drop off quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, and inside the eye wall is the eye, where it's called. Yeah. Um, so a plane... Uh, Usually a uh, either a NOAA aircraft or an Air Force air- aircraft. They both fly into hurricanes, um, and they'll just plow right in through the through the storm, right through the eye wall, into the eye, out the other yeah. side of it, and keep doing that until they have to head back home. That's I I just think that's terrifying to me. Have you ever been on a a flight that that did that? I have not. I mean, I, I certainly, it, it's it's been on my list, I guess. But mm-hmm. it just I keep leaving it up on my list. But uh, a lot of people do, um, and it's it's not as risky as it sounds. I mean, right? Been, yeah, I imagine that's very, true. Yeah, there are very few incidents since the nineteen forties or fifties mm-hmm. when we started this practice of flying aircraft to them. Yeah. Very few accidents have ever happened. It's a rough ride, uh-huh. but these are pretty tough planes. Yeah, I just it scares me so much. So to to get back to uh, the effects due to climate change, um, mm-hmm. if we have this is something I've been pondering the past few days. If we see, let's say, over the next hundred years, a very severe heating of the ocean. And you begin to have uh, warm oceans in more northerly areas. Uh, yeah. So you could say, like, I, I don't know, what is the temperature that a, a hurricane really thrives on? Like, what ocean temperature? Yeah, so generally the lowest 
talk about would be like 26 degrees Celsius. Okay, and where where would that be in the Atlantic for people to have some like basis for understanding? Um, it 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 moves around. It's, it's a kind of an, an odd shape, mm-hmm. um, but generally it's confined to maybe 25 degrees north. Yeah, on down. I mean, it, it has it has parts that are further up and further down. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and so if you have more warming. Will that area expand? And and if it does, could you have hurricanes forming in way more northerly areas than you would typically see? Absolutely. That is um, that is a trend that is already been a, has already been observed. Uh, that yes, as the oceans warm, the places that used to be warm enough are now mm-hmm. becoming even warmer. The places that didn't used to be quite warm enough are now warm enough. Yeah. Um, and so that is going to expand with time. Yeah. Um, and so one of the trends that's been observed is how far north a storm reaches its peak intensity. That is creeping toward the north. So in other words, yeah, that, that the whole thing is advancing toward the pole. I see. So if you could, like, I I might be asking you very hard questions to answer, uh, but, like, if is there a place that you could give on the Atlantic coast that someone might be able to uh, picture in their head where a, a hurricane would generally reach peak intensity, say, um, I, I don't know, uh, a few decades ago? Like, what, what was considered the standard? And again, sorry if this is, like, an impossibly hard question to answer. Um, it's not impossible. I mean, just to give it one, the, the, the trend is, I mean, it's, it's there, there, it's mm-hmm. there, but it's a very gradual thing. So yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of right in talking about the, in the next 100 years sort of yeah. question. Um, you know, this isn't a thing that you're going to notice any on any certain year. Um, but I guess maybe as an example, let's say a storm might have been able to maintain strong hurricane intensity at the at the state line between South Carolina and North Carolina. Um, maybe in another, whatever, 50, 100 years, um, maybe that will move up to the Virginia-North Carolina state line. Like, it's, just, it's mm-hmm. gradually evolving. Yeah. And now that's going to affect uh, regions of the coast that have no history of dealing with widespread hurricanes right places like dc places like uh philadelphia places like new york i mean they have like they have hurricanes right sandy they sandy was a terrible one um but but they don't occur with the frequency that maybe they do in the south atlantic region of the united states right yeah absolutely and so what what will happen over time is it'll just um, hurricanes tend to be already past their peak intensity by by the time they're that far north. Mm-hmm. Like let's pick on Washington D.C. or New New York or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're usually past their peak intensity by then, but they can still be pretty strong. Um, yeah. So when you when you shift everything north a little bit with a warmer ocean, um maybe they will have reached their peak intensity more recently and they're even stronger now when they get to those those places that far north. 
Do do you anticipate? Um, <laughs> this is a interesting question. I always have. Uh, do you anticipate humans being proactive in that and and prepping for it? Because I feel like we are very underprepared for hurricanes at this point. Am I wrong in assuming that? Like I see all this news about. You know, you see like Katrina, Maria, Sandy, and you just get this idea that America is just not built for this. But maybe it's the case that we are and we have some infrastructure and it's just like impossible to to deal with. I don't know. You know, that's that's why you're here, Brian, because I don't know. That's a good question. And I think it varies depending on where you are. I, I know like here in southeast Florida, it's pretty good and mm-hmm. people have very strong homes for the most part um we don't have wood frame construction everything here is is, is concrete um whereas certainly other places along the coastline are not like that oh yeah pennsylvania they don't even have doors yep half the people didn't even have a door in my in my uh, town so they just used a tarp so they are yeah. not hurricane ready yeah so places that are at a higher risk um, tend to be a little more prepared because it happens more often and you yeah. know, this is the way it works. But mm-hmm. um, for the most part, I think we are reactive to hurricanes yeah. rather than proactive. We kind of um, wait for something to happen and then, okay, well, yeah. now we got to do what we can to, to fix the problem. Yes. Um, ways you could be more proactive would be walls, you know, to try to protect your your town from the surge. So and then by it, that, you mean like the, the rising ocean waters? Yeah. So when, when a hurricane comes ashore, those onshore winds just push the ocean onto mm-hmm. the, the land. And it can be, you know, 5, 10 feet, 25 feet of ocean water getting pushed onto land. Um, certainly, the more of that you can avoid <laughs> is yeah. good. Um, that's a really... It can be a hard thing to do. So all of these are going to be fairly expensive things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing would be don't allow low-lying houses to be built on the ground. You know, you want them up a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there, there, there are things that people can do. Uh, it just doesn't always happen. Yeah, now you mentioned something that we actually didn't cover in the sort of climate change talk yet which is rising uh, ocean waters, Yeah. right? Yeah. And th- now that is in- going to be incredibly problematic if you have, if you have rising uh, oceans, you know, complicated by storm surge, right? Can you speak yeah. to that a little bit and, and the problems yeah, that will pose? Yeah, um, That is one of, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a commingling of, of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, as... As the, the ocean levels rise, places that might have not gotten hit by the, the, the surge um, now might. Yeah. Places that, that did already experience a storm. I mean, let's say there, there's a hurricane uh, that's exactly the same uh, now in 50 years in, in, in the future. Same track, same hurricane, yeah. same everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll flood places that didn't flood, and the places that did flood before are going to be flooded even worse. So, yeah, they absolutely um, are not a good combination. Right. Now, I, I, I've been following your you, – you do – you work 
tirelessly on on posting everything there is to post about hurricanes and tropical storms. Like I am genuinely very impressed. I'm I fought, like every single day. Brian McNulty on Twitter. Here's how many inches of rain we got. Here's this, this, this. It's I do not have the same dedication to my craft, right? And that's why you were making VHS tapes at the age of nine of the Weather Channel, and I was not. Um, <laughs> but but you've gotten like an insane amount of rain in the past few days. I've noticed, yeah. right? How much was it? A little over a foot. And and that's not like is that a problem for your region in in you know near Miami? Like do it people? Is. I mean, we 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 can get some heavy rain here. It's not that that's um, you know completely absurd, but to get that much in for three days, it, it ended up being almost equally spread out. Like mm-hmm. at, at my house, we got about three and a half one day. Uh, we got about five the next day, and four inches a day after that. Um, any one of those days, if it were just isolated, would have been like, okay, well, that was a pretty rainy day. Yeah. Not, not much would have come from it. Like, we, we can handle three or four inches in mm-hmm. a day. Um, because it's a, it's a our ground is uh, basically a very porous. Yeah. So, you know, when we do get a lot of rain, it filters through rather quickly. Um, but day after day of that, and the sponge is full. <laughs> right. And that's what happened. So by by the end of day two, it was full. And so mm-hmm. when we got another four inches of rain, the, the third day, that's when things got kind of rough. Um, so, yeah, even getting that amount of rain here is a pretty big deal. But, but it's not like your house isn't flooding, right? No, no, it... It was a little unnerving at, at points, but no, it, it flooded the yard and the street, though. See, that that is that is insane because, you know, certain parts of this country, if they got a foot of rain, it would be, I mean, that would be literal devastation. The entire infrastructure of the place would fail. Like, if New York City got a foot of rain, I do you have on the top of your head, like, how much rain Sandy caused in New York City? Um, I don't, but it, it actually wasn't much. Rain was not the big problem with, with what that. was it a storm surge that was the big yeah, problem? Yeah, yeah, it was a storm surge thing. And it just so happened that the peak storm surge came at high tide. Oh, I see. I see. Look I mean, at that. It really was a, like the perfect storm in mm-hmm. that regard. That it, yeah. like, it was timed not only with the high tide, but high tide during a full, full moon. Oh, yeah. After high tide. Yes. Huh. And the storm came right at high tide during the full moon, so it was, it was not good. Yeah. Now I live in New York, and I'm okay to say I'm legally allowed to say New York City might have deserved it. That's a terrible <laughs> place. Terrible yeah. place. Um. Anyhow, I I'm super interested in the concept of climate migration, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. climate migration is. I imagine you have have heard a lot about this in your field. Right. Yep. Um, this is actually a super interesting thing to me politically because this is something that uh, I hope gets a lot of the more conservative-minded people on board with climate change because uh, if they don't get on board, then in the next 50 years, we're going to see, uh, you know, migrant caravans coming from every equatorial region in the world, uh, sh- sh- you know, coming coming to Michigan or something uh, yeah. because 
climate change is happening and climate migration is happening, and we're already seeing it happen, I'm curious if you're going to see it happen in coastal regions. Like, do you see people or talk to people anecdotally in in your region who are wary of hurricanes and don't want to live there for that reason? Or are they like, it's fine, you know, it's beautiful here, um, I don't care? Yeah, I. it's it's relatively rare mm-hmm. to, to hear about that. That would be for the hurricane reason. Um, they're, they're pretty infrequent, even here. Yeah. Um, which is one of the more frequent places. Um, but if it's every few years, it's, it's, it is a, a huge issue when, when we get hit by one. Uh, it's, right. it's not fun. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a process that people here just, it's part of living here. Like they, they don't see it as an inconvenience in, in the grand scheme of things. It's a, it's an inconvenience for a short period of time and you get back to life as a normal and wait for the next mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I, su- uh, I suppose that's kind of the culture here with snow. I mean, yeah. we'll get, you know, f- a foot and a half of snow, and it's just, go to work. It's fine, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, it's it's just kind of a way of life, and we, we prepare every year for hurricane season. Um, you don't know ahead of time, of course, if you're going to get any that year, but you, you make the kind of the long-term thing that you can prep for, um, and if you end up not needing it, fine, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I don't know that I, I've heard a lot about climate migration because of hurricanes. The part that is a little more widespread and becoming more common is the climate migration due to sea level rise. Right. That is more of a thing where people are kind of sick of the floods multiple mm-hmm. times per year. On, on their street or their house um, and it's not going to improve yeah yeah there, it, there is a migration I think away from the really low lying areas yeah I don't know where you even go if you want to get away from floods I mean literally the uh, maybe the west like mountainous west I, I don't know because even where I'm at like uh, the Great Lakes have been flooding severely the past few years like really really badly and uh, even people that live on the coast of the Great Lakes are wanting to get out of here. So yeah. I, I, I don't even know where you go to protect it because the, I think the Midwest is also experiencing really bad floods as of late. Um, right. And then you got to live in Kansas and get a tornado to hit your house. No one wants yeah. to do that. There's like no safe haven from weather anymore in the... No, there is. I guess, uh, yeah, there, there's always some part of nature that is uh, a threat to you regardless of where you live i guess you, it's just which one do you prefer yeah do you like earthquakes hurricanes flash floods uh you know it's like well i don't think earthquakes are as, as bad as hurricanes so i'm gonna pick the west coast and live there. yeah yeah <laughs> oklahoma i i didn't know oklahoma got so many earthquakes yeah yeah, yeah. that was a that was a shocker to me because i almost went to a grad school in oklahoma and uh i learned that they have more the most earthquakes of any state in the United States. I think that's true. I think it was true then. It might still be true now. Well, All from fracking, I think. Fracking, yeah. Uh, there are places that didn't used to be big earthquake places that mm-hmm. are really getting up there. And it's because of the fracking that we're actually changing what is, you know, the, yeah. what we think of as 
ground below us. We're we're altering it. Right. Yeah. It's um. It's yeah. I I don't know. I was shocked for some reason. I think of Oklahoma as like this perfectly flat rock that has grass on top of it, and uh, <laughs> it is absolutely not that. Um, yeah, it might have been that had they left the oil in there, but you take the oil yeah. out, and then all of a sudden, it's not that anymore. Now, I, I'm also curious about uh, hurricanes from a different perspective. Uh, if it is the case that they're going to get more severe, more frequent, and climate change is going to exacerbate them, uh, right. then a natural question arises, and I, I you can speak to the history of this question because I've read a little bit about it, and it seems like this question's been around for a long time. Can you stop a hurricane? That's a question that I feel like has been asked for decades, but I didn't know it was being asked. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, this question has been asked, and attempts have been made <laughs> to alter a, a hurricane. Um, this goes back, the, the question and idea of doing it goes back probably 60 plus years. Um, during the 1950s, mm-hmm. the U.S. East Coast just got hammered year after year by a few rather strong hurricanes um, just as luck had it um, and that got people thinking like we need to either be able to move them like to have Mm -hmm. them take a track that stays offshore and or make them not as strong so how can we make them either not intensify or once they already are strong how do we make them weaker. Then came uh, Project Storm Fury, which began in the early 1960s, where we went to basically seed clouds um, with, they would would fly aircraft through a hurricane, seed the clouds to try to change the structure of the clouds and rain and everything. Mm -hmm. this went on for quite a while, um, probably 10 years with active flights, uh, and then it went on a little bit beyond that, but without much um, in terms of flights into hurricanes. But um, it ended up not doing anything. Um, it just, one, you don't have a, you don't have a known hurricane twin of, okay, what would the hurricane have done if we didn't seed it? Right. Because hurricanes do change tracks. They do intensify and they and they weaken and things like that. So how do you know that what you did is what caused that? Uh, that was a rather significant problem with the experiment is mm-hmm. no control. <laughs> right. Um, and one of the, the other problems is it, it, it relied on the assumption that there's a lot of super cooled cloud droplets mm-hmm. in a hurricane. Um, we later learned that there's actually not a lot of that. So the whole basis of the experiment was was flawed. Um, the idea came about kind of in that same time frame of why don't we just nuke them? Yeah, Wait, the so this idea has been around for a long time? Yes, uh, I think the first time it was proposed was like 1961. Oh, at that time we wanted to nuke everything. 
We were yeah, just happy yeah. nuking anything. Yeah, so hurricanes were high on the list. <laughs> yes. So what the uh, idea was to nuke them in the ocean, just drop a nuke on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I the, the the list of problems with that, <laughs> um, I, I guess it really comes down to two. I mean, it, it's a long list, but two enormous issues with that. One is even the the, the big nuclear weapons that we have now. Um, so that's you know don't even worry about what we had then. Um, it's a drop in the bucket. You, I mean, you wouldn't notice a difference. Really, you yeah. drop a nuke on the. What, what what does that even mean? Drop a nuke? Like what? Where would like, you actually drop the nuke? The idea. I mean, if, if you were to, you'd put it right in the eye of a hurricane to try to upset the the uh, warm core uh-huh. that it's got, which means that the. In the eye, the air is warmer toward the, the mm-hmm. top of the storm, and that kind of creates the, the whole heat engine thing. And, um, but it's it's so insignificant when you consider the amount of basically like watts, you know, mm-hmm. that, that a, a, a hurricane produces compared to a nuclear weapon. Um, it's insignificant. Uh, there was some estimate that I remember hearing for your some type of hurricane, you know, not 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 especially weak and especially strong, but just like your average hurricane. Um, you would need the, the amount of nuclear weapons. I think you would need to set off one every 20 minutes in the eye over the course of a few days. To even approximate what the hurricane is is, wow. is outputting. That's that is it. That is mind boggling. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that this idea had been around for a while, because I remember seeing an article about uh, Donald Trump suggesting that we do this in like 2017 or something. Um, yeah, and it was from an unverified source, so uh, people can argue about the authenticity of him saying that all he, all he wants but th- that does sound like one of those sort of like rambling suggestions that the president would would come up with is let's drop a nuke on it or yeah. or you know ask whether or not that's possible so i honestly i did not know that that was something that had been considered many many times before yeah this this, this comes up rather frequently usually after some major hurricane hits the coast and people are like we what can we do to stop this yeah and it, it uh, of course one of the answers is always just nuke it um, yes and it is not yeah it's not surprising at all that's one of the i guess things that caught his attention and seemed like a great idea oh let me get back to the the other part of the the issue with nuking it oh yeah, yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no, no, I, I, I got off on a separate track, too. Um, part two. Okay, let's suppose that nuking a hurricane actually did make a dent in its intensity. Let's just suppose that. Well, you're still not going to get rid of it. I mean, if the idea is you can just weaken it a little bit because you've upset its inner workings. Okay, well, now you've got a perhaps slightly weaker 
radioactive hurricane. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I don't know how that's an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> so now it would it would you know make landfall and it would rain acid rain on you. Yeah, yeah, you would have basically all the issues that you have with nuclear fallout, but mm-hmm. traveling with the hurricane. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. This seems like a good option. Now, I've also seen some, like, startups claiming that they're working on some technology to, to cool ocean water, right? Yep. To, like, super cool the ocean water beneath the, the hurricane. Yeah. There's, there's a couple ideas that, again, going over quite a long period of time is the idea that why don't we just cool the ocean? Because mm-hmm. established, a warm ocean is key. Um, so there have been ideas over many years of why don't we tow icebergs down? You know, break, oh, break icebergs yeah. down has to tow icebergs down mm-hmm. ahead of hurricane. That's been put out there. Uh, the concept of why don't we pump cool water from deep in the ocean up to the surface? Um, and again, the problem is in the scale. Um, it's just completely unrealistic to cover the area that you need Mm -hmm. to and cool it off enough and with the lead time that you need to. I mean, we don't know 10 or 20 days in advance by the time you have to start these icebergs coming or these pumps going Mm -hmm. uh, that there will even be a hurricane, let alone exactly where it's going to track. Uh, It's it's just impossible. I I don't see a way of this ever working. Uh I yeah, if I were in your shoes, I would be actively lobbying against all of these ideas. I'm not yeah. saying that's what you are doing, Brian, but I'm saying like if if for job security purposes, I'd be like, no, no, no we can't kill the hurricanes, guys. We gotta <laughs> the hurri- Look, no. I know, I know they cost billions of dollars of damages, but we gotta keep them around. The good thing is, common sense seems to always win out before these things are put into place. Yes, yeah, right. So these, these ideas come about all the time. Oh. Here's another great one. Um, in order to prevent the hurricane from accessing the warm ocean, create a slick of oil. Oh, that's a good one. So you yeah. cover the ocean ahead of the hurricane. Yep. And then it can. Exxon Mobil's working on that right now. Yeah, yeah. So that, again, that sounds like what could possibly go wrong, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, so what, like, what could actually be done then? Is this just going to be a, a factor of life and we're just going to improve infrastructure and be proactive and build walls and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, we're not going to change hurricanes. I think that's a, a point that has been established over a long time now. Um, it, they are a fact of life. Mm-hmm. Um, hurricane-prone places around the world are just going to have to keep being hurricane-prone. Um the trend could be that they're going to gradually get more intense and that they're going to produce more more rain. Mm-hmm. Um, and rain is not a part of a hurricane to ignore. That's an enormous part of what makes a hurricane uh, such an expensive and deadly thing. Right. It's not the wind. I mean, rain, rain actually is worse than the wind usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think, is that why houses in, in Florida tend to be like ranch-style houses built low to the ground? Is that to deal with wind, or is that literally just you're building on sand and it's tough to build sh- structures? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, we we do have, you know, in like downtown Miami, of course, has yeah, lots of forty-five lots million of apartment buildings. buildings. So it, it, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, you can build tall things. You just have to drive things down to the the actual rock, which right. I think is like fifty feet down mm-hmm. or so here. Um, so it it can be done, but yeah, I think for the most part. You, you do see a lot of ramp style homes here, um, and it's, it's probably partly wind reasons. You know, you don't want to stick up too high. But I think most of it is just there's a lot of old homes here. Yeah, and houses didn't used to be big. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my house is eight, eight, eighty one years old mm. this year, and it's yeah. still. Still here, you know, so yep. it's not like these things get wiped off the map. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the fact that hurricanes do impact that region so much is a good thing in terms of the public perception of climate science. Um, we see this. There's a great, I talk about it all the time on the show, the Yale Climate Survey. I don't know if you've ever seen this or looked at it. I can link it below and send you a link to Brian, if you haven't looked at it. But it, it measures public perception on climate issues across the country in every county. And you can see that the areas with the highest sort of awareness of climate change and climate science are the areas that undergo frequent severe weather events. And, you know, in a weird way, it's kind of a good thing because it does help science literacy because people are trying to understand why am I getting flooded every few years? And even if it is just a natural process, I mean, it is just a hurricane, uh, it gets people interested in the question, how do I stop it? Or, you know, is there something that can be done about it? And that's where the climate science thing comes up. It's, you know, because if we are going to have some increase in severity, people are interested in understanding that. And that gets them invested in fixing the climate problems. So, you know, that's an interesting takeaway from this is that it actually uh, helps science literacy in a weird way. Yeah, um, that is absolutely true. Uh, we see that with hurricanes. We see it with sea, sea level rise. Mm-hmm. Um, Wildfires. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, places that are impacted by these more and more, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to ignore. <laughs> yes. You, you can't, like, especially with uh, sea, sea level rise here, mm-hmm. um, people who lived here a long time are they are able to experience that things yeah. flood that never used to flood. Right. I mean, you don't need to trust the news mm-hmm. to, like, they see it with their own eyes. Um, so that is a way to kind of put it in your face of, like, no, this is not made up. This is not an uncertainty. Yeah. This is happening. Yeah. W- happening. <laughs> yeah. What's so interesting is that, uh, you know, you can look at some surveys of the South Atlantic region, and 63% of people believe that climate change is affecting their local area, which is one of the highest percentages of any region in the U.S. I think it's even higher than the Northeast. And, you know, it, it's super interesting because when you think, when you see climate science in the news, it, it seems very partisan. It's like a weird partisan culture war that people want to take away your coal and you don't want them to have your coal. And, yeah. uh, in the Northeast, you don't see as much of that. You would, you would almost say that you would think, I would think, that the South Atlantic should probably believe in climate science less than the Northeast. 
but it actually is the opposite. The South Atlantic is very aware of the effects uh, and just adds an interesting dynamic to the conversation, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a shame that it takes actual events to convince people. Right. Things, you know, mm-hmm. that's... Uh, yes. But it works, it works, I guess. Yeah. Um, What's, yeah, the same thing is happening with COVID-19. Um, yeah. Except there is actual events, and it still doesn't convince people um, right. that something should be done or someone should be held accountable. Uh, I don't know. It's a, yeah. a very interesting time to be alive. It, it sure is. <laughs> yes. But anyway... Ryan, I think, uh, oh, by the way, this is funny. You, uh, you posted that you're going to be on, uh, State of the Universe, the podcast, right? This happened to me recently. This is, this is interesting. So the podcast title is actually The State of the Universe, right? And something weird happened. Someone started a podcast called State of the Universe, and it is a lady, and she is an astrologer, and she does like tarot card readings and stuff. So you, you are actually going to be on that, that podcast, Brian. Um, Fantastic. Yes. So you're going to get your uh, horoscopes read. Uh, I I will have to update that. Yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Because people are going to type in state of the universe and they're going to find my stuff anyway, because I don't think anyone actually listens to that other one. But it's just uh, interesting to me that. uh, So I have to ask who, who had it first? Oh, I had it like years. I've been doing this for two years and she, I think this woman just started it. And okay. I think it was actually done purposefully. I think that um, really? you see this a lot where people like try to, um, it's, it's, it's for example, um, like the Joe Rogan experience. People now start tons of shows that are called like the something else experience. Okay. Um, try to take a name a cheap ripoff of a name so that people will accidentally stumble upon your stuff while looking for other people's stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, it happens a lot. It's like in... a really bad ripoff is to take off the... Yes, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe she didn't know. Maybe she thought it was a cool name, and I think it's a cool name. Uh, but I mean, it, it, it is, yeah. Yeah, you, you can't uh, be state of the universe and do tarot card readings, though. That's not... No, bad. Terrible. Anyhow, uh, thank you for being here, Brian, and and, uh, we're done recording now, so, okay.